Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. Hope you are. I am good. It has been another busy week. Absolutely. At least, you know, busy for me. Apparently not that busy for um, Texas Democrats in the uh, state house out there. Well, not if you don't include tourism. <laughs> tourism, eating... Uh, you know, box Caesar salads in the, the Memphis airport, things like that. That's right. Can you believe they couldn't get a direct flight from Dallas to D.C.? Well, especially in the charter world. Yeah, in the charter world. where you want. You would think. Cheapskates. That's, a, that's an interesting situation, and I know you, uh, you've been keeping up with it. Um, as I understand it, um, did the legislation pass both houses? Well, here's the situation. And, and what we're talking about, if the listeners don't don't know, is there is a draft legislation that's come before a special session of the Texas legislature, which would reverse a number of the kind of temporary measures some counties put in place during the pandemic with respect to voting. It also would include some things like voter ID. So it comes before the Texas legislature. In the House, the Texas House of Representatives, they have 150 members. The Texas Constitution requires two-thirds to be present for a vote, which means you have to have 100 for a quorum. Uh, the Democrats oh. have uh, some 67 seats, so 61 Democrats just took off, left the state of Texas, which would deny the rest of the House uh, a quorum so they could not vote on the legislation, as well as some other things were pending before this special session. The Senate, or the state Senate in Texas, needed 21 members for a quorum, and they had 22, so they passed it 18 to 4. But no action has been taken in the House. It's still pending. I saw where the governor had instructed Texas law enforcement to arrest the Democrats when they return. Is that is that right? That's right. The um, Texas Constitution actually says that a smaller number, that's smaller than the entire body, may adjourn from day to day and compel the attendance of absent members in such manner and under such penalties as each House may provide. So the House has voted and uh, agreed to issue warrants for their arrest. I guess there's a jurisdictional issue, but if they come back within the um, the borders of Texas, uh, the governor says they'll be arrested. Now, what's the penalty for that? The penalty is that they get transported back to the House of Representatives and they have to debate and vote. So it's really not a, a criminal sanction. It's just a we're going to lay our hands on you and take you to the uh, legislative building and, and there you will sit until uh, the legislature adjourns. That's correct. Oh, wow. So do they, have you heard of their plans for them to return? Are they still hanging out in D.C.? Well, it sure doesn't sound like it. Here's some audio from a, a couple of members when they got there. We are living right now on borrowed time in Texas, and we can't stay here indefinitely to run out the clock to stop Republican anti-voter bills. That's why we need Congress to act now and pass the For the People Act. We need the president and the vice president and every Democrat in this Senate working together to preserve American democracy. 
So when you hear that, as well as some other sound clips that I've heard, is that they don't seem to have any intent to go back. They, uh, they're they milking this for all the political points with the Democrat Party that they can get, I guess. Yeah, and I, I would assume that your average mom-and-pop American who are working, particularly those who are working in Texas and are paying taxes to the state of Texas in some fashion, I know they don't have an income tax there, but tax money is being used to pay these legislatures to do the job and they're not doing it. I would think it's not playing well on Main Street, but I guess that remains to be seen. You know, some of them are probably from safe uh, seats where they can pretty much uh, count on reelection regardless of what they do. But I have to think that if there are any from swing seats, this would not be too popular. No, I wouldn't think so. And I, I note that, uh, and I guess it's ironic, um, the same people who are in favor of these folks defeating the quorum by leaving the state are the very same people who want to do away with the filibuster in the United States Senate. Seems hypocritical. It does seem very hypocritical. They've uh, Part of their rallying cry has been to preserve democracy, and yet they want to eliminate the rights of the minority in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, and I, I noticed um, there's a, a representative, and I don't remember his name, he looks like he's about 14 years old. Um, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and he was on, um, I guess it was maybe Fox News this afternoon or maybe this morning. And he plainly said he was opposed to voter ID laws. And he was kind of upfront about it. That coupled with the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security today, excuse me, saying that any refugees from Cuba or Venezuela who reach our shores will be taken to a third part, third country and resettled and not allowed to enter the United States. And, of course, people who come here from communist Cuba typically uh, become Republican voters. When they come across the border with Mexico, it's come on. No vetting, no nothing, just come on. But when they come from escaping a, a communist or socialist state like Cuba or Venezuela, can't come into this country, we're going to send them somewhere else. That, too, seems awfully hypocritical to me. Yeah, I had not heard that about Venezuela, but that's a very good point that many of the migrants coming from Central America, which party do they normally vote for? They vote for Democrats. Cubans who come to this country typically vote for Republicans. And not only that, but there's this history. I mean, it's kind of a unique relationship between the U.S. and Cuba, which goes back decades because of the the closeness of the island and what went on with uh, Fidel Castro from the 50s and 60s and onward. And the U.S. has staked it, an interest in that, that part of the world for a long time. But we have traditionally granted some type of status to any Cuban refugee that made it to the U.S. That's right. If you breach our soil coming from Cuba, you get to stay. Uh, has always been the policy. And, you know, you, you've seen, we've all seen pictures of folks uh, actually in the surf trying to get to the to what we would call the beach because then they could stay. And uh, at the time, Border Patrol or Customs or whomever might be trying to, you know, basically arrest them in the, in the, in the surf before they get here so that they could send them back or whatever. Um, but that's, um, that's very interesting and, and seems, seems like uh, sort of an obvious tell of their true uh, motivation, and I say they, I mean the Democrat Party, with regard to the folks coming across the border with Mexico and also the people coming from Cuba. Uh, 
Well, it goes directly to the Biden administration because they sent a pretty clear message with respect to Cuba and, and Venezuela, as, as you mentioned. They could have sent that same message with respect to all of Central and South America. Absolutely. And, and what they, in fact, did was send the opposite. It was basically come on. And, and that's what Kamala Harris was confronted with when she went down there. And I forget which country. I don't think it was Mexico, but the leader of one of the countries that she visited and said, you know, wait a minute. <laughs> Your message to our people was come on, and now that they're doing it and you're down here complaining about it, that doesn't seem fair or right. Didn't get a lot of play in the press, but it happened. Yeah, I think that was Guatemala, if I remember yeah. right. What you see with respect to the, the Texas Democrats and, and how they how the Biden administration may pick and choose which refugees get into the country all goes back to the the push for voter uh, federal voting legislation, which we've talked about in the past, because this complaint by the Texas Democrats who fled Texas for Washington, D.C., not liking what the state does, ignores the U.S. Constitution, which says the state gets to make those decisions. And it, it's been I mean, it's plain. It, it's not doesn't require any interpretation. It's, it's written there in the black and white and has been since 1789. Well, this is what Joe Biden said just a couple of days ago. The assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat, literally. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this comparison between uh, voting rights legislation and this country being closer to Civil War? Well, I guess the first thing that jumped out at me was this is at least the second time, if not the third time, that Biden or his administration uh, or folks within his administration have compared um, some current uh, event to the Civil War. They compared January the 6th and said it was the greatest threat since the Civil War, skipping over Pearl Harbor, uh, skipping over 9-11. And now they've done it with, with regard to, to this. I, I think... Um, first of all, I think it's factually specious argument. I mean, it makes no sense. Secondly, the Democrat Party was the party of slavery, was the party of uh, secession, was the party of Jim Crow. Um, so I think it's wrong for him to, to say that factually. I think it's not a good argument. And I think that uh, it's interesting choice of words. If you read the conspiracy theories on the on the internet it, people are saying that it's because that's where the democrat base wants us to go which is uh, a civil war um, with the federal government taking away certain rights particularly with regard to the second amendment enforcing these federal voting laws so that they can remain in power um, the 2022 election if they don't do something jim clyburn said the other day in Congress, if, if if they don't pass this H.R. 1, then they're going to lose control of the House. And I say they, I mean the Democrat Party. Um, so uh, they're becoming almost desperate to do that, it seems to me. And I don't think the hyperbole, although Joe said it wasn't hyperbole, uh, but clearly it is, um, is, is, um, is troubling. Um, you know, when you, when you keep saying things like that, people get, they become used to it and it, it, it loses its meaning and it, it's, um, I don't think it ends well. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say about that is that there have been so many issues within the 
the culture wars over the last few years in which traditional values have been kicked to the curb. Uh, Middle America has been thrown under the bus. And any time conservatives have said, no, that's not right. And, and any time conservatives have said, you know, that is leading to the fraying of the nation. There, the pushback has been, how can you say something so incendiary as to suggest a civil war? And yet the Biden administration doesn't seem to think twice about doing it when uh, they want to push some policy. And the story and is the story isn't the story. The story is the Republicans reaction to the story. Exactly. And, and, it, and it's it is it's scary. Uh, you know, when when there is no common interest between the two parties, and I think for good or bad, we we are and will probably remain, certainly in our lifetime, a two-party country. But when those two parties have nothing in common, that you're going to have a really, really difficult time keeping the country together. And it seems to me that we are headed to a point, if we're not already there in some ways, where we have very, very little in common. There's just, you know, there used to be certain things that were understood that both parties stood for. And now I'm not sure what those things are. You know, when the flag is considered a racist symbol and when, uh, you know, the Second Amendment is something that we can't agree on what it means. Just to name two examples, I'm troubled by that. And when this notion that you have to have a, a photo ID to do most anything in this country, but you don't have to have a photo ID to vote, particularly to vote by mail, I'm worried. Well, let me ask you, do you think it's a bigger concern that the two political parties are moving so far apart are that various states in the country are now being so far apart i think it does matter ed i'm not sure what it means though um you know if if you take the argument that we're moving farther and farther apart and at some point something's got to give and you know god forbid that happens but if but if it does what does it look like you know in 1861 it was a geographical thing um, and so you could, you know, you could draw a line and, and understand. Um, in 2021, I, I don't know what that, that, I don't know what that looks like. Um, you know, you have California, New York, um, and, and then a large chunk of what's in the middle would not agree with California and New York. There are exceptions to that, of course. So I don't know what, when the states, I don't know, I don't know where it ends. I don't know how it ends. If, if God forbid we head down that road. I don't know either, but I'm concerned that one thing it does lead to is just more disenchantment, sense a uh, sense of being disenfranchised by a number of people, and that's by not most, people. And, by and, most and, people, and by what you and I would consider middle class America. You know, they, 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 I say they, I mean we. You know, we don't believe that politicians are in it for anything other than getting power and making themselves rich. You know, when the Nancy Pelosi's of the world serve their entire working professional career in government and they get rich. Something's wrong. And they don't have the interest of the American people at large at heart. And people don't believe they have a voice in Washington. I suppose in some in some states they don't believe they have a voice in the state capitol either. And so it's like, you know, I mean the message that worries me that perhaps was sent in the 2020 election is why bother to vote? You know, if 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 we're going to count them wrong, there's information bubbling out, particularly of Georgia, with regard to the audit. 
in Arizona. You know, it's 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 like if it's not going to matter, why why am I going to take the time to go down there and do it? And and that's that's really a problem because it increases the chasm between regular folks and their representative government. Well, maybe populism is a common element. Sometimes it was difficult to see the difference between populist candidates between the left and the right in the last yeah, election. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Um, there, there's the, the populist movement seems to be gaining strength, and there is a populist left and a populist right. And, you know, to the extent that the number one concern is, quote, take back our government, there could be um, left and right joining forces to accomplish what they see as a worthy goal of taking back our government, um, which, you know, to me means voting in people that will do what the populace wants. You mentioned Georgia and Arizona. Are you tracking anything on that at this yeah, point? Yeah, um, there was um, there was some information I saw late this morning, and I don't know whether it's so or not, but Bernard Carrick, former police commissioner of New York City, he tweeted um, yesterday at 6.41 p.m. He said, I told you this was coming, and he retweeted um, a, uh, a tweet from a, a lady named Heather Mullins, Real America's Voice TV investigative reporter. I don't know her, but she there's a video, and she says, Fulton County, Georgia, breaking news, voter GA, which is a man named Garland... Favorito, who's co-founder Voters Organized for Trusted Election Results in Georgia. He presented evidence of duplicate scanned batches uncovered from ballot images obtained from a lawsuit. There were identical markings and writings which proved the ballots counted multiple times, and they compromising official election results. Then earlier today, Vernon Jones, who is the excuse me, Georgia state legislator who changed parties back, I want to say about this time last year, before the election, but he tweeted. It's actually uh, before the convention, as I recall. Okay. He spoke at the. uh, That's right. He did. He spoke at the Republican convention. He tweeted almost around lunchtime. He said he called for an immediate GBI, which is Georgia Bureau Investigation, an investigation by GBI into reports of duplicate ballot counts and thousands of missing chain of custody documents. And then he called on Governor Brian Kemp to resign, and he says our governor had a duty to do his due diligence before certifying our election. He failed. Just to be clear, we can't vouch for any of these sources. No, no, we can't. But it's certainly Vernon Jones does not has not struck me in reading his Twitter page and, and, and his comments in, in the media since um, since he first kind of made national news when he changed parties. Um, or I guess first he supported Trump. Then there was some sort of punishment that was talked about by, by the, the Democrats in Georgia. And that's when he changed parties. But he doesn't strike me as, as uh, you know, some kind of um, rogue legislator or someone who, uh, you know, says things just for... Um, just for the effect that it may have in inflaming uh, others who, you know, and then enjoying the publicity. And, and then, and this is the last, the other thing, um, Doug Mastriano, who is a retired army colonel, full bird, and a published historian. In fact, his most recent book has to do with Sergeant York. 
he claims to have figured out where Sergeant York was when he accomplished the feats for which he was awarded the Medal of Honor. There's some controversy about whether he really did or not. Some folks think he was wrong, but but nevertheless, he's a published author. He's also a state senator in Pennsylvania and a and a Trump supporter. He um, he says that his uh, that the Republicans in the state senate of Pennsylvania have the votes to get the subpoenas done, or I guess subpoena if you want to be grammatically correct, to uh, investigate all of the. I mean, do a full audit of the the vote in Pennsylvania. Um, the uh, Pennsylvania Secretary of State, I think it was late last week, it might have been early this week, um, forbade the uh, local boards of election in Pennsylvania from cooperating in any sort of uh, audit. But um, this state senator says that they have the votes to issue the necessary subpoenas to make it happen. Uh, let me just say, I, I, I take all of this with a huge grain of salt. Um, I, I think there were a number of problems in the last election, mostly related to how the mainstream media uh, demonstrated such a complete bias for one party over another. It ignored substantial stories of corruption mm-hmm. involving a candidate who, did, who didn't want to leave his basement. And I don't doubt that there were some squirrely things that went on. In fact, I think we can say that in, in at least, you know, the state of Pennsylvania, you had the executive branch, and we've talked about this before, that changed voting rules, uh, changed which votes and for how long they would accept votes and how long they would do early voting. And, and that similar situations happen in other states. I'm not convinced there's ever going to be evidence that's going to establish anything, though, that's significantly different but is it, here's the interesting thought experience let's let's think about this from a legal standpoint and let's just assume that uh substantial evidence was developed in you know three or four states that would have made a difference my, my take is that it doesn't matter at this point that that the that a president has been sworn in that there is no mechanism to remove that president or to replace that president and that anyone who says to the contrary is just you know, wishing, but it's not going to happen. I think you're probably right. I also think that there will never be substantial evidence in the sense that the news media would never publish, would never run a story, would would kill it just like they did the Hunter Biden laptop. So I don't know that the American public would ever truly know what the substantial evidence is, even if it's turned up. Secondly, I think the courts would bend over backwards to avoid dealing with it. Uh, but for the reasons that you just mentioned and the reasons we talked about, I think it was last week, there is no mechanism. What do you do? How do you fix it? If you did, I mean, either way, half the, the voting public and probably ultimately 100 percent are going to be fired up and angry and you can't you can't fix that. Um, and then but but if 2022, which is coming quickly, were to be a Republican wave particularly in the House of Representatives. And then, you, you know, you're only, what, two seats uh, from a majority in the Senate. There is the possibility that upon substantial evidence, you, Biden could be impeached. If he's removed, you get Kamala Harris. A lot of people would, from the conservative side, as you know, would say, that's worse, don't do it. If somehow she's implicated, then you get Nancy Pelosi which would be even worse. We're getting worse. Um, yeah. And, and so that, that would be, it seems to me, the, 
the reason uh, to not impeach Biden if something were developed. But it's it's a mess. And, you know, the one thing that that I think we even after 2000, we all kind of knew was that, yeah, there's, as you said, squirrely things and irregularities from time to time with voting. But by and large, people believe their votes counted and they trusted the results. And I think we've reached a point in this country where that's not true anymore. And that's a sad thing. I certainly agree with you about that. You know, I, I would I would take the position. And this would be a fascinating debate if it happened. If if the Republicans took the Senate and the House and tried to impeach Joe Biden, I think it would be wrong. I think it'd be unconstitutional to do that unless there's some other evidence that I've not seen. At this right. Point. I, I think you're but, right. There would need to be something new that we don't know about. The idea that you would have three impeachment uh, proceedings over the course of what? Four years, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a historical fact that would be horrible for this country. We don't need to get to a point where every time the uh, uh, the president is in a different party from the party that controls the House of Representatives, he or she gets impeached. That's banana republic kind of stuff. Impeachment needs to be the ultimate, and it should only be used when nothing else will work. Um, you know, I think looking back, Richard Nixon did us all a favor by resigning and saving the country from an impeachment uh, because he would have been impeached and he would have been removed. You know, like you said, we're, we're looking at, I mean, we've had two uh, during one term. Um, if the Republicans were to do that, they would have to have almost a, sm- well, not almost, they'd have to have smoking gun kind of documentary evidence of absolute corruption, not anything even questionable. Um, and even then, I'm not sure that it should happen. You know, I'm just I, I, the, the going down that path is is, is not a good thing. Um, and I think it's better to keep the ballot, generically speaking, pure in the sense that or the process pure and then beat them at the polls. And that's the better way to do it, I think, if we can. Yeah, so this is this is kind of crazy talk, to be honest, but it's been it a is. crazy week. But it's, it's fun to talk week. about, and it's yeah. fun to think about, and it has been a crazy week, and it's getting crazier. I mean, we've got South Africa is all but a failed state, it seems to me. Um, Cuba is teetering. Uh, I've I, I read, I don't know whether it's true or not. Again, it's what you see on the Internet, and we're not vouching for any of that that we've talked about tonight or any other time for what we read on the Internet. But it is interesting that Raul Castro, who recently – uh, retired, um, has told his successor as president that he, Raul, is not going to help him suppress these riots. Um, now, that may I, very well be that he can't. You know, he has no power to do it and doesn't want to try because, you know, he'll be seen as ineffectual and, 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 and weak. But um, that's interesting to me. Yeah, I didn't see that, but I did see uh, several sources reported that Raul, who I guess he's 90 or so and he's retired. He came out of retirement to a sp- attend an emergency session of the Cuban Communist Party. So it's certainly possible that he uh, he feels ineffectual to do anything else. It's hard to believe he's lost that revolutionary authoritarian fervor. Yeah, I think it's important. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's important that Biden and his administration do uh, certain things to give a little nudge to the communists, you know, to, to maybe hasten their, their downfall in Cuba. I do not think that should include U.S. 
military intervention of any sort. Be, certainly not boots on the ground, but I don't even think, you know, airstrikes are appropriate if, if it comes to that. I've seen some, some people, uh, sort of clamoring for that. Um, but my position would be that the Cubans got themselves into this and they need to get themselves out. We have our own problems at home. I think the Biden administration could certainly do more than this. There's every indication that yesterday's protests were uh, spontaneous expressions of people who are exhausted with the Cuban government's economic mismanagement and repression. And those these are protests inspired by the harsh reality of everyday life in Cuba, not people uh, in another country. I'm this is uh, six decades of repressive communist policy that's coming back to finally, maybe, catch up with the Cuban regime. As Cuba could return to being an oasis um, and, a, and a, a destination for Americans, it, it's you know would be more of a destination for Europeans. They've been able to go, but there's just there's not much there. But you know the dollars that could flow into Cuba from travel, tourism. You know there used to be major league teams that did spring training there. They would go play spring training games there. There were casinos. Now you know the problem was it, all the money was was um, kept by the corrupt politicians in the Bautista regime and not shared with the people. Um, but that, that could happen again and happen, happen quickly. And it's, it's just a shame to see the, the poverty and the desperation of, uh, of those people because they don't have anything as a result of the communist government. We talk about all the crazy stuff this week. We haven't even mentioned the Chuck Schumer's proposal for a three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation package on top of all the COVID relief, on top of the regular federal budget, on top of this infrastructure package, which is also being floated. And, and the, the fear uh, is that the Republicans will work out a, a compromise on the infrastructure and give the Democrats some of what they want. And then Schumer and Pelosi will use the reconciliation to shove the rest of it down the Republicans' throat. And so uh, the, in the end, the Democrats get 100 percent and the Republicans lose the benefit of the compromise. And this country yeah. can't stand that much more debt. You know, you know the, the numbers that came out yesterday with regard to inflation, the worst since 2008. Um, I see where Popeye's. Uh, restaurants are coming out with a new sort of chicken nugget kind of product. It's going to be six months or so before they, they actually roll them out. They are currently buying the chicken that they need for six months down the road because they're worried about inflation and what it's going to do to the price of chicken in six months. Um, so, you know, they're out buying all this chicken that they can knowing that they're not going to use it until first of the year. It was only a few months ago there was a chicken wing shortage, you know. Mm -hmm. And they, they said that was caused by the pandemic and supply chain disruptions. Mm -hmm. But if, if Popeye's buys up all the chicken nuggets, that will uh, that will certainly cause an impact in the price of chicken. It will. The price of chicken. I like you know, chicken. Yeah, everybody. I mean, who doesn't like chicken? Um there's a fear on the part of some, and it may be a bunch of nuts conspiracy theory, I don't know, that the government, you know, the government is doing what it can, not so much take over, but to allow a chosen few to take over the beef market in this country by buying up 
ranch land and thus controlling the price of beef and as a means to make environmental policy and keep the price of beef basically such that you couldn't afford it or couldn't afford it very often force the American people to change their dietary habits, all as a means to uh, save the environment. Now, I don't know whether I believe that or not, but that's, that's certainly out there. So we may have a chicken shortage and a beef shortage. A chicken shortage and a beef shortage. What is a meatitarian to do? I don't know. But I have tried bison burgers recently. Was it good? Tastes like hamburger to me. Hmm. That may have been because of the way it was prepared. There was a lot of Worcestershire and so forth. And Hey, did you watch the All-Star game? I did. I watched the first couple innings. I wanted to see how uh, how this pitcher-first baseman combo worked out, and it was pretty impressive. It was. Um, I liked. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I did not like the uniforms. I was offended by the uniforms. I didn't realize how much I didn't like the uniforms until I, I I saw something about it, and then I started paying attention, and I couldn't stop looking at them after that. Yeah. Um, and then when I saw pictures of prior All-Star games, and I, I realized just how bad they were at that yeah. point. There was a there's a guy I follow on Twitter, um, a couple of people actually, baseball sites, and he, there was one guy who kept saying, uh, he kept producing pictures of the player introductions from past years, and he kept saying, here's another picture of properly attired all-stars <laughs> over and over again. But it was, you know, uh, not a bad game. Uh, I thought the uh, Hank Aaron stuff at the beginning, um, what a shame that it was in Denver and not Atlanta. Uh, I think that he deserved, his family deserved to have that in Atlanta. Yeah, that was yeah. really nicely done. It was. It, not- it was class. So – What's on your radar for this next week? Well, I guess initially uh, South Africa and Cuba, and then uh, the Democrats in Texas. Uh, I think uh, I hope there are pictures of whatever's going to happen when they return. Um, and, uh, you know, it seems to me that they will be brought to the legislative building and there will be debate and there will be a vote and the law will pass and they'll squawk some more. I think the... I think the audit story, again, I agree with you. I don't think much is going to come from it, but I think it's interesting. Um, so I'll keep an eye on that. What about you? Well, on on the Texas Democrats story, I'm not sure it's going to break this week. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they'll stay away for a while. But my bet is that there'll be a few that'll get tired of it, and they'll say, let's just call this off, and they'll go back. And maybe there'll be some holdouts that stick at it out in Washington. Did you uh, see the story that broke yesterday? Um, there were, and I, I didn't read it, but I did see it. There was a lady in Brooklyn, and I think she may be an Iranian expatriate. She's a writer. Yeah. And the FBI has arrested and charged some folks who are, uh, according to the FBI, Iranian spies who were trying to kidnap her from Brooklyn for some transgression against the regime. And on the same day that that news broke, the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, announced that more sanctions had been lifted against the Iranian uh, government and essentially more pallets of cash will now be going to Iran. And apparently no one in the Biden administration seems to think that the optics on that are kind of strange. 
Yes, yeah, she is an American citizen. I guess she's of Iranian or Persian descent and who has written some things very critical of the government there. The story is that four um, Iranian nationals so far have been charged with conspiracy to commit a kidnapping and to remove her back to Tehran. Um and, you know, just just to point out, you know, some people pointed out the killing of Khashoggi a couple of years ago. And this is entirely different. He was not an American citizen. Uh-huh. This is an American citizen in America. In this country, yeah. And a foreign country is is essentially trying to commit a criminal act, if not a, uh, an, an act, act of, of war. war. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a big story that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. No, and I, I also noticed this morning that Elliot Cohen, who is— the congressman who represents, it's either Nashville or Memphis, and I think it's Nashville, has introduced or co-sponsored legislation to that calls for um, an international investigation of the new leader of the Iranian government for human rights violations related to massacres that occurred 20-plus years ago in Iran. Um, that kind of broke maybe yesterday or day before. And then you have the story, and then Tony Blinken says, we're going, to, we're going to lift some sanctions. I don't understand. Well, sticking with the Mideast, though, the other thing I'm watching this week, uh, we mentioned it last week, is with the uh, interpreters and allies of America in Afghanistan. It's my understanding that the Biden administration is actually making some serious efforts now to get them out of that country into safety somewhere, whether it's the U.S. or a third country. Uh, but I want to see what happens with that. We can't yeah. we can't turn our backs on our friends. No. And if they're doing that, good for them. You know, I mean, we fuss when we don't like what they've done, when they when they change course and and, and do the right thing. I think they need to be uh, uh, praised for that. And it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. So we'll know more about that next week, and we'll certainly update everyone. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review. And tell your friends. Absolutely tell your friends. <laughs>